Hello and welcome to People of Tech with me, Charles Commons, the podcast where I speak to leading figures discussing the current climate and the future of technology in their industries. Along the way, we'll learn more about the people behind the job title and share their thoughts and opinions on their role. In this week's episode... I mean, we've got challenges all around us, definitely in cyberspace... Women are different to men and it's okay to be different. And that's a big, big message. So we need more visible role models, but we also need them at various stages in their career. So not just in the leadership positions. My guest this week is CISO advisor and champion of women in tech, Jane Frankland. Jane started out in cybersecurity over 20 years ago. And in that time has held senior executive roles at several large PLCs and has a strong track record of working with some of the world's biggest brands. In 2017, Jane published her first book, Insecurity, exploring the reasons for the lack of women working in cybersecurity, expelling the myths, and providing a true insight into strategies for attracting, identifying, and retaining more women in the industry. To begin with, Jane talks us through her cybersecurity career and explains how it all began. I started by actually building my own information security consultancy. So that was in 1997. I knew nothing about technology at all, but I was interested in it. I built a business with a partner and there were only two things that interested me at that point in time. One was AI and the other was security. And AI was very, very new and really not feasible, in my opinion, to to start a business at that time in it, but security was. And I always tell people that, (laughs) to begin with, I was quite embarrassed about saying this, but I actually thought it sounded a bit like James Bond. So it sounded really cool. It sounded really interesting. And I love Bond. So for me, that's kind of what attracted me and kind of pulled me into it. Obviously, our industry is nothing like, um, you know, the James Bond films, but that's kind of how I started, which is actually quite, quite unusual. I built a business. We specialised um, in penetration testing. I owned that for 16 years. I came out of that business after about 13 years when um, a relationship with my business partner, who was also effectively my husband, broke down. And then I went off and did a couple of um, management jobs, directorship positions for some leading consultancies. And then in about 2014, I actually changed my business. So I I went, I actually started supporting cybersecurity entrepreneurs and helping them to to scale their business. So prior to that, I'd really been involved in penetration testing, ethical hacking predominantly. And in 2015, I then happened to write a, a blog about women in cybersecurity, which led on to the book called Insecurity and all of the work that I'm really doing with with women and also um, CISOs and other C-levels, so CEOs and and boards and and non-executive directors. So since you've worked in the sector, how much do you think cybersecurity has changed in that time? It's changed a massive amount. So when I came into the business, it it really was very much a technical discipline. We still have the tech now, but there's a lot more behavior analytics. Um, There's much more reliance on geopolitics, behavior, sociology, psychology, and so forth. So there's a big 
emphasis now on that. And really, it's more to do with the, I think, the insider threat and also the, the, the profiles of those who are out there to steal from us or attack us. Yeah, I think that's that's probably quite true, isn't it? Especially at the moment, the way things have been going. Um, so that we've seen that you're that you're someone who offers mentorship and key advice to leaders and entrepreneurs. Um, what what do you offer to the business world, Jane? So I I offer several things. So my business is training, coaching, and consulting. So and I work with three different types of um, people. So I work with entrepreneurs and I help them to grow and scale their businesses. I work uh, predominantly with CISOs. So that's often in the form of mentoring, or sometimes it's putting in programs to help them build and scale their departments. And there could be a specific emphasis on attracting and retaining women in cybersecurity. And then I also work with with women in security. So helping them to become more resilient, to have more grit, to, to be much more visible because there's a big issue with that visibility aspect. And main way that I do that is is through personal branding and helping them really to do many of the things that, that I've done along the way. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that a bit later. Um, one of the main keywords in business today is digital transformation. Um, what has been key advice that you give to leaders in this space? Yeah, so it's really, I mean, again, it's it's a lot of the same advice that I'll give to entrepreneurs. So with digital transformation, some things that I get them to work on is really their visibility and also their um, the way that they are building the culture of their organization. And the two are closely related. So what I see when when I look at the culture of many organizations, many departments in security, I see four kind of profiles. Um, the first is a culture where there is low challenge and low support. And often that's an environment where there's apathy. So people just show up and they're not getting any feedback. So it's um, they turn up and they're pretty much job, jobs worth. So there's no incentive for them. If they do good work, they don't get any feedback. If they do bad work, the same is true. So that really doesn't kind of produce any type of performance. The next one is um, low, low challenge, high support, where they're getting support in terms of you know material materials or resources or, or finances and also their emotions. But what that happens it turns them into being very dependent on their their managers or or leaders and so they can become very resistant to change and certainly when it comes to digital transformation we are going through a rapid um, change process with regards to the way business is evolving and that is really going to speed up over the next 10 10 years Um, so that's not not good for them and then the other area um, is to do with high challenge and low support, whereby they're in at the deep end and they are not really given any support. So they don't really necessarily know what to do. So being in a sink and swim environment, if they do manage to swim, then um, they often pick up bad habits and then they pay them forward. So it just creates a whole cycle of inefficiency and really mediocre performance and those some people do survive in those environments but they're not the best in terms of achieving high performance and then the the place where companies and organizations need to be and few are at this place um, is the high challenge high support where they are being stretched they are being developed they are being invested in and they've got the support around them and they're getting lots of feedback good and bad and it's all very clear 
and they're able to to perform to that high standard. And what that does is it creates raving uh, raving fans within the organisation. So they go out and act as ambassadors, and it creates this um, pipeline so that companies and organisations are sought after, and everyone wants to go and work in these organisations. So that's kind of typically what I see. And with the environment with, say, chief information security officers, it's an environment where many don't last beyond two years. And when you compare that to a CIO who are there for four, five or six years, it's quite a different, um, it's quite a different environment. With, with a CISO, a Chief Information Security Officer, they're often used as a scapegoat. They're often not supported. They are often not understood. Sometimes they have problems talking the language of the stakeholders, including the board. So it's it's very, very hard. And as a result, sometimes they don't get budgets. Sometimes there's a conflict of interest. So their reports aren't getting further up the, the chain. And um, yeah, and, and then you have a, a more of a cycle of churn, you know, with regards to, to the people that they attract simply because of the culture. Yeah, I, I spoke to Steve Wright, who's the Chief Information and Data Protection Officer at John Lewis. And, and he was sort of, um, one of the questions I asked him was was about all the um, like the British Airways hacking scandal that happened not so long back. Um, I asked him whether that had actually helped him achieve uh, more for his budget for, for going forward. Um, and and because he was obviously quite defensive in terms of, you know, defending his position, but also his position in terms of his peers at other companies as well. Uh, I, I think the fact that you said there that, you know, the churn of that that position in those companies is, is quite low or, or quite high, I suppose you say, don't you, with churn? Uh, and, and I think that, you know, the fact that these sort of things have to happen for then those people in those positions to kind of be taken notice of by the people at the top of the company I, I think that's quite um I, I suppose looking from the outside in that's that's quite bad because that's part of their security measures that they actually have that position in place and a person in that role absolutely and that that's why the problem is really leadership and it's not with it doesn't stop with the CISOs you know the board um has a, a leadership problem because they don't understand really particularly well um, cyber they're not cyber literate and then but the way that i see it is that the non-executives who also you know these are really capable people i mean all all of the the c-levels board non-execs are massively capable but there's a, a problem with communication there's a problem with language and often there is a reluctance to admit that and that's why the national cyber security center has actually put you know a fair bit of work into trying to improve the communication level at both the board and ned level so that they can i think support those further down including the the cso's much better and then likewise once that once they understand the 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 once they become cyber literate then they understand better the environment then they can better understand how to support the cso's and once the cso can understand how to speak the language of the stakeholders, including the board, then they can meet in the middle. That bridge is built. So it just helps to solve the problem because right now the biggest issue is to do with communication and is to do with leadership, in my opinion. Is that what you would say the biggest challenge is that you see with CISOs today then, Jane? Yeah, they're not supported. Yeah, it's yeah. If if we can help them to this is my view, if we can help them to learn the, the language, to get more visibility, to um, 
I would say actually have a mind sh- mind um, shift um, so that they actually are understanding the world of those that they're dealing with, the stakeholders that they're dealing with. So it's really seeing the world through their eyes, putting themselves in their shoes. And right now they don't necessarily really understand that too well. Once they do, and this is part of the things that, that I teach, once they do, it helps them to actually meet them where they're at and then solve the pr- problems. Um, so, yeah, and, uh, but the same can be done with the other stakeholders like the board and the NED. So it's it's got to be done on all fronts so that there is that meeting and so that we can get pushed past this issue. Because right now we've got people working in silos and um, and people like the CISOs being used as, as scapegoats. Mm. Um, the issue of cybersecurity then, as I said before, it's been quite prevalent of late um, with several high profile hackings having taken place in 2018, such as the aforementioned British Airways um, and HMRC at the start of 2018 as well. What, what are your thoughts on the climate of the industry at the moment? Because from the outside, it would seem that the job is just getting harder and more demanding on a daily basis. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, we've got challenges all around us so definitely in cyberspace cyber is now it's not just a target it's a weapon and attack vector and in cyberspace offense is structurally dominant they have an asymmetric advantage over us we have attacks coming in from cyber criminals where they're following the money trail and it's much easier their environments are really diverse and they are operating as in that high challenge, high support environment, they don't have the same restrictions that that we do. So it's much easier for them. They only have to find one way in. They only have to be right one time. And they are incredibly strategic. And you've got all manners of cyber criminals out out there. Um, Then you have the hacktivists or activists. And then you have the state-sponsored attackers. And sometimes that's state on state and sometimes it's state on on private so for all different reasons but in addition to that in our world you've then got regulation and legislation which adds another dimension to it so we have societal responses to immigration challenges the way that we are looking at education workforce needs trade liberalization and also the way that we're dealing with internationally with cyber conflict um, you know, and that challenges the way that we work in both developing and emerging economies. So it's it is a really, really challenging environment for us. Our job is not the same. So our job is not, and I'm always saying this, our job is not to secure the environment. Our job is to mitigate risk in line with the business's appetite for risk. And that's why there needs to be that understanding. So in, in fact, in order to, I think, Uh, reduce risk and have an environment that is 95% secure, our budgets would have to increase nine times, which isn't possible. And then still, we'd still be open, there'd still be that window of opportunity, that 5% window of opportunity. So there isn't, you know, the more secure environments, the more security you put in place, it can actually be more disabling. And that's why it's getting the right balance between risk and, and security. I think one of the other questions that I I asked Steve Wright about was um, the the way that we as the public find out about um, this sort of, well, this sector, this entire industry is when it goes wrong. So 
the media only report the times when the hacks are successful. Um, and, and so therefore, it's a very, I suppose, inclusive club where as a CISO, you would maybe speak to other CISOs and say, oh, we managed to stop this happening last week. But the papers aren't going to ever pick up on that. No one's going to turn around and say, oh, well done, good job, uh, unless they're within the industry themselves. Um and then um, it was it, it was one of those things where you said that you you feel like that their escape go to times um, the the CISO for British Airways lost his job and it might not have been anything that he could have done and you know human error occurs in all walks of life um, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly how that hacking actually took place and worked um, but. I, I do find it, you know, very relevant to what you were saying about the CISO becoming the scapegoat in that situation. And then I wonder whether that's actually uh, a fair assumption. Is it, it? Do you think maybe the um, the problem is is that there's a pressure put on from the outside as well, from maybe the media, and therefore the perception um, of the public or that that the public has of the company if they don't make someone pay for that mistake. Absolutely. Yeah. Or the board, the stakeholders, the shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Someone's head. I mean, this this is it. And it still comes back to the leader. Someone's head has got a role for it. You know, someone's head is on the block. So who is the who's the natural person? And say with the BA hack, you know, I, I don't know what the situation is with regards to that, whether or not the CISO was actually, you know, whether it was a failure um, of processes, et cetera, et cetera. I've no idea. But yeah, you know, it's it's some someone's head is on is on the stake. You know, with regards to it. So at least it looks like they're doing something. So we are now in 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 a situation where the hacks and breaches are the new normal. And to a certain extent, I think there was a conversation I was having the other day. I think we're becoming more um, we're getting used to it. So it's it's not as you know, the press does like a sensational story and things like that. So there's a lot of fear, but we are getting quite hard into it. And that kind of is interesting when you look at privacy, you know, privacy and trust, what is it actually doing, you know, to the, the brand? Because say in this instance, you know, it, it's a brand issue. You know, they have to pay to, fi- to fix that. And now there's regula- regulation in place like the GDPR to make sure that they are doing a better job of looking after a person's um, data, you know, information or personal identifiable information. So, yeah, we are becoming more hardy to it. Um, contracts are tying us in more and more, so it's harder to get out. Um, it's, it's more effort for us personally if you want to get out of a contract. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens and also what happens in terms of supporting the, the leaders um, in regards to doing their job, because I know a lot of CISOs who are actually choosing to or looking for ways to come out of the industry or go into organisations that are more of a startup culture where the exposure isn't as high because they can get on and just do their job as opposed to be, you know, in the in the front line. Mm. So you've worked with many of the world's best known brands. I'm not going to ask you to start naming them. Don't worry. What's the most common question you get asked by a CISO when they first become their first become your client 
There isn't a common question. So usually when I, when I work with CISOs, we we actually have a conversation. I'll do a lot of work on the mentoring side of things. So in a lot of cases, it is raising their visibility because they want to attract the best opportunities and also they want to build their, their team, so their culture. So therefore, they want to get the best staff. And one of the ways that they can do that is by raising their visibility and really kind of showing you know, who they are and what they stand for, what their values are, what is their mission? You know, what is their vision statement and things like that? And how do they better explain that and get that across so that they can attract the right types of people for their organization or the right opportunities, be they new CISO opportunities or even non-executive director positions? A lot want to go into, into non-executive director positions so that they can actually advance their career because we know that, say, in information security or cyber security, we don't really have a career map mapped out. There isn't a route. So, and I know that is being worked on. It's just taking quite a long time to for that to come to fruition. But that is in, that includes all of the levels. So, where where do they go? What is the route? Thank you, Jane. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll discuss the lack of gender equality in the cybersecurity sector. Content marketing is, it's our obsession. Consumers are always being bombarded with content. So white papers, mostly they are used, I guess, to persuade people. When you're refreshing content, really you're updating it. Go through your notifications every day and respond to people that are connecting with you. We've seen a real fundamental shift in the dynamics of marketing over the last 10 to 15 years. Tech Demand Weekly, the weekly podcast for marketing professionals. Now they know that I'm not just playing the sport for fun, I'm watching the scoreboard. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to People of Tech and my conversation with CISO advisor Jane Franklin. Jane is a champion for women in cybersecurity and in 2017 wrote a book that included strategies for attracting, identifying and retaining women in the industry. According to womenoftech.co.uk, the number of women working in technology is significantly lower than most other UK work sectors. Just 17% of those working in technology in the UK are female. I know that in Israel, for example, these percentages are reversed. So I asked Jane for her comments on this. Yeah, I mean, in so I, I know those figures too. In security, we have 11% of women in in cybersecurity. Those are the, the latest figures. There'll be a new report out next year, I think. Um, in the UK, we have, I think it's 8% of women in security, but we have a tiny fraction. I think it's 1% in C-level positions. Um, when I talk about this issue, in fact, I was talking about it the other day over in Barcelona, um, I actually called on the journalists to be more accurate with their reporting. So say in places like Israel or the Eastern Bloc or UAE, for example, they all actually are doing really quite a good job of, and, and India, of course, of getting women into technology. They have different issues to us. So for us, say in the Western uh, worlds or developing countries, often we see um, a, we were seeing a, a falling in, in numbers. Um, but say in places like India, 
they actually do a really good job of getting girls into technology and the problem that they have is keeping them in sometimes there's a challenge once they go off and have children or or get married so it's really being very specific when we look at this problem and looking at the demographics because not all countries and cultures have the same issues you spoke about israel they're doing a phenomenal job with regards to to women in it and they have a very very different culture and are quite a small country, um, obviously placed where they are, you know, in in the midst of a battlefield, you know, so so to speak. But it's a very very different culture and very different restrictions around them in terms of legislation. So, with people like Cheryl Sandberg at Facebook being such a key face in the industry, um, how much does that help influence the next generation of women get involved in information technology? I think Cheryl Sandberg really really influences the influences women to come into IT and also cybersecurity. She has, I mean, writing the Lean In was incredible. I read that and absolutely loved it. She comes across as being competent, highly intelligent, and also very vulnerable as well. So she's sharing a lot of her personal life with us, which actually builds the trust and also helps women in tech or security to not feel so alone. So we need more role models, more visible role models you know, out there, more like Cheryl, uh, but we also need them at various stages in their career. So not just um, in, in the leadership positions. Yeah, so the more women that we see at different stages of their career path moving up the ladder, so to speak, that that will actually be the um, the, the the best influence for anybody that's looking to get into it at, at a young age, I suppose. If you can sort of say, well, here's, here's this person at level one, and then there's this person at level three and level five, and, and then you can then ga- go and say, look at Cheryl Sandberg right at the top. Um, you know, there is a progression there. And, and, and you know, some um, really good um, job opportunities out there for you. Absolutely. It just helps to normalise it. So it provides provides that visibility and also the career route. So often millennials or centennials, because um, we're now in that era, actually look to websites, to brochures and, and so forth for proof that there is a career route route for, for them if they do want to move into leadership because not everybody does want to move into leadership some can actually be specialists you know in their area but if they do it shows what's possible and they are looking out for signs like that and that's why it's so important to use um, visible role models and to actually put the images out there but importantly and this is really important to actually practice what is practice what you preach but actually do what you say you're going to do because a lot of companies out there look great and they have all of this you know plastered all over their websites etc etc but they're not actually doing that much you know in in the organization so and that they get found out when that happens so it's important to actually do what you say you're going to do Mm. so I don't want to come across in the wrong way here, but we have seen in the UK um, that women replacing men in key roles is at times seen as a box ticking exercise. So looking recently at BBC Radio 2, um, um, the drive time show with Simon Mayo, um, they, BBC brought in um, Joe Wiley, female radio presenter, to partner Simon in a bid to shake up his show. Um, 
the loyal audience to the original show were then not happy with the change. And, and now Simon Mayo has actually chosen to leave the station. Although the official announcement from the BBC was that Mayo has decided to take time away from radio to conclude a book deal, reading between the lines, it could look as though Mayo has been pushed out to fulfil the BBC's quota um, in getting more women into key roles. Are you at all worried that it is just seen as a box ticking exercise and not one where it is thoroughly deserved due to the talent of the individual. But you know what? I, I really understand that and not offended by your question at all because it's it's a really valid one. I'm not because we have so many awesome women in security. I mean, literally the standard is just so incredible. So I'm not worried about that, but I do recognize that we have a little bit of a divide going on and we have to be really, really careful. So Whenever I go and do keynotes or speak or interviewed, etc., I'm always saying we have to do this together and we have to be aware of that that threat because I think between the ages of 35 to 55, certainly when it comes to men, there is a, a fear that women are going to get pushed into these leadership positions or take over their jobs or if there's a change, how is that going to affect them? So we have to include men you know, in this conversation and actually be recognise that that is, that is going on. The interesting challenge I think that we have is actually getting more women into these leaderships positions. And, and although we can't engineer it because it is a case of it has to be best person for the job. So in our country, we cannot um, discriminate. It's, you know, that's how recruitment is, is done. It is best person for the job, as opposed to filling a, a quota. Obviously, if you've got two, in, two candidates, two individuals who are going for the same job, and it's, it's between a male and a female, then you can actually call on a minority to actually fill the space. So if you wanted uh, a, a woman, a female to actually do that job, then you can pick based on gender, um, you know, a, a woman to, to do that. But otherwise, it has to be best person for, for the job. So I'm not worried about it, but I do recognise that there is that sensitivity and we have to bring men and make this about doing doing the right thing, getting the right, the best talent in and standing side by side. Together, we evolve. Together, we progress as as men and women. It's very, very hard and it is challenging, but we have to understand that and we have to recognise the challenges around us. I completely agree with everything you said there, Jane. I think that's that's exactly right. I mean, it's very easy for... Um, the newspapers to pick up on on things like this story that I that I quoted in in the question um, to to basically sell their newspaper that that's what they're doing is that they're, they're literally just picking that and they're going well that's why they've done that that's why it's happened and then people read it and you know they go oh that's that's not good that's bad and that shouldn't be happening um, and and that's all it is there is just to actually make the um, help the the media sell their 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 print basically and i understand the challenges of journalists i really do it's um you know they're they're under so much pressure um so i understand that but i don't necessarily like to see the fear propagated so you are a champion of women in tech and you released a book called Insecurity. Um, the synopsis says that women are fundamentally different to men and when it comes to cybersecurity, one thing is certain. If you're short on women, you're less safe. Can you tell us a bit more about the book and what you want people to take away from it, please? 
Yeah, so when I wrote the book, the book was a bit of an accident. So I just happened to write a blog. It, it was really time for me to do that and to write about what it was like to be a woman in the industry. And I got, I was really worried about doing that. I thought I was going to get um, crucified for, for what I wrote. But actually, it really struck a chord with so many people, male and female, and I got fantastic a fantastic response from from that blog which then led on to further articles of, uh, on that subject and then over Christmas time I, I wrote a report it was 15,000 words which turned into a turned into a, a, a bigger project which which w- was the book so what I knew at that stage was that 15,000 words was half a book and because I wrote that report in about a week and a half I thought, actually, if I add more value and go out and interview more women and and men about this subject, then that could be quite useful. And I got in contact with a publisher um, at Rethink Press, who I knew, and said, look, I've done this. It's nothing to do with my business. Um, Should I turn it into a book? Because obviously I'd be investing a lot of time into it. And she said, look, you'd be crazy not to do that. And so that's how I came to write the book, how the Kickstarter project, which funded the book initially, came to be. And I always say that this book really is about performance. So it's looking at the things that we need to do in order to perform to a higher standard. It is leading with women because it's topical, but women do see risk in a different way. Women are different to men and it's okay to be different. And that's what a big, big message. It is okay to be different. So women are risk more risk of us than men. There have been countless studies that show that. Women have high social and emotional intelligence. They score very highly when it comes to that, which is needed in our industry. Women are very good at staying calm in times of turbulence. Again, that's really important when we have an incident that's happening or a breach that, that's occurring. We need to be able to deal with that and report on it in a calm manner. Women spot changing patterns of behavior. They are very detailed and very attuned to this. And that's obviously required when we're looking at the threat actors and threat environment um, and the anomalies. So again, we can report on it and spot what's what's going on. Also, when it comes to women, I mean, certainly women in, in business and in leadership, when we've got women in those roles in business, they're obviously half half of the percentage, half of the workforce, which is useful. But projects are more profitable. Um, businesses are more profitable, rather. Um, there's more innovation and we stay on schedule and within budget much more than compared to homogenous teams. And so it doesn't make women better than men. It just makes us better together. Um, and that's why we need more of, you know, more balance in the workplace so that we're getting more diversity of thinking, more diversity of experience and um, more diversity in general. So women are, again, known to lead the way for diversity. And we really, really need that because we need to be more creative and strategic in how we're looking at the problems that are surrounding us. So since the book, you wrote a blog post in June of this year, 2018, about your experience at the InfoSec European Conference, um, where you tweeted a picture of a particular exhibitor's booth and the way that they were marketing themselves. Um, You received a substantial backlash on Twitter for your tweet at the time. Um, Clearly, there's still a lot of work to be done with regards to gender equality in all walks of life. But do you see an improvement happening in the cybersecurity sector? Yeah, that was a really interesting affair, actually. So to begin with, 
I got a load, I got a lot of great response. So phenomenal. And the reason I tweeted it was actually, I, I went up to the, to the women, I spoke to them, I was really respectful and looked for evidence. You know, was this just a gimmick where their guys dressed um, in similar, not similar attire, but the women had red ball gowns and the theme was quite actually, it was Diamonds are a girl's best friend or something like that. So I was looking for evidence of guys dressed in tuxedos. You know, was it a gimmick? It would have been fine if they were alongside them, but it wasn't. And so I knew the the rules of InfoSec and how it had been 10, 15, 20 years ago because I've been in the industry for so long. And, and I was very sensitive, uh, very aware of perceptions. So in security, often there's a perception that women aren't in technical roles and we have to be careful of of that. So all I was doing was just alerting the event organizers to to that and kind of making a comment of, you know, we're going backwards, you know. So I wanted that to be stamped out and for us to continue in the manner that we have been doing because we've been making great progress. That was then reported on by a journalist who you know, wrote a, a good story that was then picked up on Twitter and and it just went bizarre. On Twitter, um, I spent about four days um, with one other woman actually dealing with this, trying to present the case and, and why. And eventually I got one of the main opponents who happened to be a woman on, on side and together we worked to actually, you know, resolve the issue. And then I wrote a blog with learning lessons that I'd learned and that I thought we could learn as an industry and then called the industry together to actually um, deal, deal with it because I couldn't see evidence, much evidence of any code of conducts out there to support not just women, but all, all people. So the code of conduct that is out there that is for event organizers is actually for all people, but it actually provides a framework for others to use. Uh, because many of them don't don't have don't have any, anything in place, so with with all of that done, and I've got badges as well um, that people can use to demonstrate that they are um, a trusted, you know, event that does have a method for communicating bullying, harassment, abuse of any kind. Um, the 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 take up of that has been and the support for it has been really really strong. So. Cybersecurity Challenge in the UK, big big supporters, IC Squared, um, Black Hat, and I've just got back from Australia actually. So there were representatives from the government, from some of the big event organisations like ASA, um, and um, and other leading leading CISOs. You know, just in support of what is being done. Because let's face it, if we can't keep the people in our own industry safe. How can we keep other people, organizations and countries safe? We have to get our house in order. We can't have environments where inappropriate behavior is going on. We'll link to both the the blog post that you wrote back in June, um, Jane, and the code of conduct as well in the show notes, um, so that if anybody's listening, uh, listening and is interested in, in finding out more about those, you'll be able to find those there. So where do you see the future of women in tech over the next three years, Jane? Is it a positive future that you're seeing? Yes, absolutely. It has to be. For the evolution and the digital transformation that we spoke about um, before, it has to be. 
The only way we're going to solve the issues that we have have is by getting more women into the industry. We need gender diversity and we need the diversity of thinking, background, experience, age, ethnicity, and, and so on. Women can lead that change. They are absolutely essential. And so say the work that I do right now, it's helping the women, even just with me being visible and paving the way for them. You know, I'm encouraging them to do the same thing, to become more visible, to get out there and to speak more at events. So it's that visibility, it's that enablement and actually helping them to develop their resilience and better understand some of the challenges and and to maintain their strength and energy. So that's why I work with the leaders to create these cultures that are better for all people, because what's good for women is good for men, men, um, and then support the women so that they can actually um, not come to terms with it, but deal with it so that they are not getting stressed and burnt out. And that could be helping them to find environments where they have these cultures of high performance and and high challenge, Um, or it could be helping them to start their own businesses. Because like I said earlier, the women in, in cybersecurity are incredibly capable. So just to finish off, I ask this to all my guests on this show, uh, Jane, how do you switch off from your working life? Have you got any tips for your peers out there? Yes. I mean, um, so during the working day, take regular breaks. Um, so get up, <laughs> move around, um, make make a drink, um, get out into the fresh, fresh air if you can. That can really help you stay fresh. For me, I really like, I live in the countryside. I'm an introvert, like most people in the industry, actually. So that means that I am sociable. I love people. I'm really interested in people. But I have to kind of restore my energy by getting away from people. And the best way that I do that is by by going off for a walk with my dog. Um, I live in the countryside. So it's like getting up into the hills and getting out with my dog. That really helps me. It allows me not to think, which enables me to think and in a more creative way yeah so so walking is a fantastic walking in in nature in the countryside if you can or by the sea is such a good way to increase your creativity to take a break from all of the thinking that we're having to do because we are in our heads we're stuck in our heads a lot of the time and that is not a good place to be we need to be out of our heads much more than we are so yeah break break it up my thanks to jane franklin you can find out more about what jane does on her website cybersecuritycapital.com you can also order her book insecurity there and through amazon and all good bookstores next week on people of tech i'm speaking with security researcher scott helm i'll see you then thanks for listening